Hi everyone, this is Pastor Brett with SBBC and I would like to welcome you to another episode of Growing in Grace. We hope that you find the same joy and conviction listening to these as we have experienced in their preparation. If you would like to know more about us, please visit us at sbbcpittsburgh.org. That's s-b-b-c-p-i-t-t-s-b-u-r-g dot o-r-g and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Last year around Thanksgiving, my youth kids and I started going through a series of lessons on the biblical view of the holiday season. Going from Thanksgiving all the way to Easter, we systematically looked at these modernized holidays and examined them along with how we view and practice them. In doing my research, I found an interesting study that asked a large group of Americans which holiday was most important to them. I was fascinated by the results, and so I decided to start our series off by asking my students the same question. Almost all of them, with the exception of some of my longtime students, said that Christmas had the bigger impact on them in their life each year. This is reflected even more so in the study that I found. This survey of just over a thousand Americans of all faiths conducted by Scripps Howard News Service and Ohio University found that 59% of all adults interviewed report that Christmas is their favorite holiday. A similar study conducted by the Gallup Poll found that only 2% pick Easter Sunday as their favorite holiday. This is even reflected in retail stores collecting hundreds of billions of dollars in sales each year during the Christmas season. As interesting and staggering as this may be, I think it's an important question that we all ask ourselves. Which holiday is most important to us and what do we believe Jesus really did while he was here on earth? As important, unique, and beautiful as Christmas is, Theologically, I think it's clear that Easter, and more importantly the sacrifice it represents and celebrates, holds more sway over our eternal destination, but unfortunately, it seems to take the back seat more often than not. I think it's safe to say that one of the most frequently perverted and abused aspects of the life of Christ is his death and resurrection. The world can easily tolerate him as a human martyr, and this is reflected in many of the major religions around the world. But leaving him as simply a martyr undermines and ignores the real and monumental significance of his death. Even in the church, we often tend to think of the cross only in terms of what it accomplishes for us. Unfortunately, this is evidenced by our own personal spiritual routines. We all too often approach God in prayer and in study on our terms, not on his. He then begins to fade in our lives, albeit unintentionally, from our God and King to a mere vending machine. We begin to see ourselves as the sole focus of Jesus' death, assuming he died for our salvation and our eternal glory, to rescue us from judgment and hell. And while all of this is accomplished by the death and resurrection of Christ, it is important that we understand that this is only a happy byproduct. It's all secondary to the fact that in the end Christ died for God. And in order to understand the full meaning and purpose of Christ's death and resurrection, we need to look at the cross from heaven's perspective, not man's. To begin with, Christ's death was a sacrifice. This is not new information, it is something that you have likely heard in countless sermons and devotionals. However, I believe that it is hard for us in our current context to understand the depth of what a sacrifice really means to God. Therefore, we need a brief history lesson. A look into the Old Testament reveals the specific system of sacrifice the Lord put in place to deal with the sins of his people. In those sacrifices, God provided a way through which the sinner could come before him and temporarily have his sin dealt with. 
This was not as much a permanent solution as a tool that God used as a spiritual mirror to remind us of our fallenness and depravity. According to the meticulous guidelines laid out by God, the guilty party would bring an animal to the priest at the tabernacle or temple. The sinner would lay his hands on the animal as a symbol of transferring his sin and guilt onto that sacrifice. The animal would then be killed and its blood would be poured out over the altar. The purpose of this sacrificial system was to emphasize that the wages of sin is death. Blood must be paid for blood and life must be paid for life. Furthermore, it shows that God's wrath can be satisfied through a sacrifice. Hebrews 9.22 says just this, But according to Hebrews 10.4, animal sacrifices only provided a temporary covering for sin. So they had to be repeated again and again, month after month, year after year. It became clear to many that this was a hopeless endeavor and no amount of blood could cover their sin. Even more, however, missed this lesson entirely. Their pride blinded them to the reality that instead of providing permanent forgiveness, this sacrificial system pointed forward to God's final sacrifice, his son. Christ was the only completely acceptable sacrifice to God, the only truly spotless lamb who could be offered for the cleansing of our sins. The author of Hebrews points out that Christ served as both the sacrifice and the priest in his death. Hebrews 9.12 says, quote, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. End quote. Again, in Hebrews chapter 7 and verses 26 through 27, it says, quote, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sitters, and exalted above the heavens who does not need to daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. Quote. Unlike all of the ineffective and incomplete sacrifices that preceded him, Christ was able to fully satisfy the wrath of God that was directly poured out onto him. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 26-28 through 28 states, quote, Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once, at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And insomuch, as it was appointed for men to die once, and after comes the judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin, to those who eagerly await him. End quote. To whom was Jesus offered then? Hebrews 9.14 tells us the answer. It says that Christ, quote, offered himself up without blemish to God. It's true that we reap the eternal benefits of Jesus' sacrifice, but it was ultimately a sacrifice to God, and we can't mistake the death of Christ for anything else. Over the last six months, with everything going on culturally, politically, and medically, I have tried my best to follow the major events of the news while doing the same with the general landscape of how the church at large is handling the pandemic, the subsequent quarantine, and everything that has followed. Thankfully, this isolation has given me plenty of time to think about and digest what I've been seeing. To put it simply, what I keep seeing from the national church Modern and mainstream Christianity is handling all of this very poorly. This is a trying time, and God has used it to reveal the hearts of believers and churches everywhere.
We've had to come face to face with fear, pain, mental suffering, isolation, uncertainty, and even the very nature of who we think God is and what he does. And as I've mentioned before, it is important for every believer to answer this exact question. This is especially important in the life and function of the church. Since the inception of the church in the first century, we have shown our true colors not during times of plenty, but in times of hardship, and this pandemic is no exception. When we started to realize the gravity and depth of the COVID-19 outbreak, churches began to talk very seriously about whether or not they should remain physically open, and if so, how. Once the quarantine and the stay-at-home order began to trickle down, this conversation and debate intensified only to come to a head at the holiday of Easter. With how hectic everything has been, it's easy for us to get swept up in the politics and everything else that is swirling around us. But I think that there's a bigger issue at the heart of the church. In retrospect, what continues to rest heavy on my heart is the perspective and attitudes toward Easter itself, and by proxy how we gather and worship each Sunday. When we look at Easter alongside our favorite holiday of Christmas, it begs the question of why we celebrate Easter the way that we do. Do we celebrate it because it's the exact day that Jesus rose? No, not quite. Do we celebrate so that we can eat a great meal and see family? I hope that is not our sole motivation. What about having motivation and reason to be closer to God while assembling in the house of God? Of course not. We are the temples of God, and he is not bound to any building. He has instead chosen graciously to reside in the hearts and minds of all believers everywhere. Honestly, I think it's clear that we have elevated one or two Sundays a year above all else. We have confined our king to one or two Sundays a year, and every time we walk out of our church, we leave him behind to revisit him the next week. We have placed him back into the manger and back into the tomb, only to appear once a year like some kind of divine groundhog. We need to realize that we do not celebrate because he died and rose from the grave 2,000 years ago. No, we believe that he is risen. He is risen indeed. We have been given perpetual life and security in him, and surely this is something that we can appreciate in times like these. Let us celebrate this new life and freedom not only on Easter or Christmas, but every Sunday. Let us examine ourselves that we may apply the same passion and commitment to every Lord's Day that we do to our holidays. We as a church affirm that Jesus Christ alone provides the means by which sinners can be saved, and this doesn't change from Sunday to Sunday. This is an eternal truth that should consume our heart as a church. The facts of his life, death, and resurrection contain the essence of what the gospel message really is. Jesus' 33 years of life on earth were a righteous fulfillment of all God's laws that we have sinfully and consistently broken. He died as a sin-bearing substitute, suffering God's holy wrath in the place of all of us sinners. And his resurrection proves that this sacrifice was sufficient to God. The bodily, physical death and resurrection of Christ is a fundamental doctrine of our faith. 1 Corinthians 15.14 tells us, quote, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and our faith is also in vain. Paul then, in Romans 10.9, reaffirms that the resurrection is a fundamental doctrine, but adds another one, one that has come to be known as the Lordship of Christ. He says, quote, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. 
end quote. There is a major implication in confessing Jesus as Lord. Trusting him as a savior also means submitting to his lordship in all times and circumstances. This is not something that we simply revisit every time we sit down in a pew. Instead, if we truly believe that we have been given new life and transformation in the name of Jesus, our lives should be in stark contrast with our unbelieving counterparts. We should be completely consumed and focused on the glorification of God and the salvation of those who are lost around us. All of our time, talent, and blessings should be used as tools to accomplish this singular goal, to go into all the world making disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gifts and blessings that you continue to pour out onto us as your church, and I ask that we, as individuals and as a church body, live a life that is worthy of the calling that you have laid out before us. As we reflect over the death and resurrection of your Son, I ask that we don't take this light and hide it under a basket, but instead we take it into the world that is riddled with darkness and brokenness, and we show them that the way of salvation is in no one else except you and your Son. As we go about our day today, I ask that you continue to give us strength through your Spirit and hope in your Son, so that we can handle whatever is on the horizon by glorifying you in all that we do. We ask this in the name of your Son, our King, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you again for listening, and if you would like to see more of our content, please visit us at our website at sbbcpittsburgh.org. That's sbbcpittsburgh.org, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a YouTube channel where you can find recent sermons along with the entire series of Growing in Grace. Simply search South Broadway Baptist Church. Thank you again, and until we meet again, may God bless you and keep you.